CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to Coindesk TV. You are watching The Hash. I'm Zach Seward. That's Wendy O. There's Will. We're going to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto, finance, and more, including some comments from the Treasury Secretary. Is that right? Did Janet Yellen say something, Will? What's going on? That's right. We got a nice Bloomberg scoop to start off the day. Talking about how the FDIC is actually looking to move beyond the $250,000 insured level for all deposits at most banks. They're looking to basically enact some pretty extreme measures in the wake of both SVB and Signature Bank being taken over by FDIC and also Silvergate voluntarily winding down operations. There's a lot of contagion in the banking sector and they want to stem any more of that from occurring. So they're looking to ease the fears of depositors by increasing the insurance levels to what seemingly are like extreme amounts. I don't know. Wendy, your take on it, it seems like this is like a pretty uh, wild step, but it might be necessary given that there's a lot of fear out there in the banking sector. So this was this story was in regards to them using an old law from the 1930s, right, Will? Yep. Okay. So with that being said, I don't like all of these random laws that we have in our government, but at the same time, if this is going to help protect retail, if this is going to help protect taxpayers, because taxpayers are going to suffer the burden anyways. No matter what happens, if the banks get bailed out, taxpayers are going to pay it. If the banks don't get bailed out, taxpayers are going to get hurt anyway. So I guess I'm kind of okay with them using this law to help the underdogs, but at the same time, it makes me a little bit worrisome because we see them using some of these old laws and these old caveats to kind of destroy crypto and halt the growth in our industry. So I'm a little bit on the fence about it, but at the same time, I I do want to see retail win and I do want to see people get their money back because if we do not make depositors whole, there could be some serious um, issues coming. But at the same time, I think that this is all to push through a CBDC in the future and make people scared. I mean, it's also to make sure that the companies that are banking at some of these banks, you know, can continue operations, right? That was the big issue with SVB, right? It wasn't just big whales who had like big giant accounts. It was like startups, right? Who had other operating expenses in these accounts. And there were something like, I don't know, 90% were uninsured accounts, right? So making sure that these businesses can meet payroll should another bank fall is probably what this is all about. And I think really when it boils down to it, it's just projecting confidence that the U.S. banking system can continue to operate as normal. Whether or not that is the case, I think is still an open question. A lot of these mid-sized banks probably have 
the same distressed bond book that really arguably was the root cause of what sunk Silicon Valley Bank and I guess potentially signature. So this could be something that I think is systemic. And I think obviously steps need to be taken to shore up confidence in the US banking system. So it would make sense that Yellen would go out on a Tuesday morning and say, hey, if something goes wrong, we got your back, right? And the question will be, can we do it without impacting the taxpayers? Can we do it without taxpayer funding? And then that goes to sort of like these scenarios where we've seen you know, Warren Buffett reportedly in talks with the Biden administration to lend a hand should some of these distressed banks need help. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes after this and whether or not, again, this projection of confidence at least does have that intended effect of keeping people a little bit less frazzled than they were last week. I don't know, Will, what are you thinking? Yeah, some historical thoughts here because uh, that's my angle, I suppose. So the FDIC actually came about during the 1930s because of all the banking issues, right? Like that's why it was enacted in the first place. And it's been updated a few times, including during the last Great Recession in 2008, where it's bumped from $100,000 up to $250,000. So there's a long history of this insurance program being used by the government during emergencies in order to backstop the financial system, mostly being banks. They really want to protect depositors here, which I think does have like some democratic values to it, which is like a very good thing. That being said, there's a lot of political issues here that a lot of people get worried about when you start thinking about like who they're going to protect and why they're going to protect them. We saw that really with the SVB thing, right? Where like a tech startups were heavily involved with SVB, SVB was being bailed out. And immediately we saw tweets from the likes of Elizabeth Warren and others saying like, why are we bailing these people out when we can't help out ordinary Americans who are dealing with 6% plus inflation rates? So it's just wild to see, and it's expected to, to be seen, the fact that money is going to be politicized and we have to make acute decisions with insurance programs, protecting depositors, you're going to see it politicized more and more. And last thing to Wendy's point, the Stabilization Act, more or less like the power they're using here or possibly could use here in order to backstop depositors. Because right now, per Congress, they don't have the ability to do anything past a 250K limit, but they might be able to use this exchange stabilization fund that was developed in the 30s in order to go around Congress. I think if they do that, you're going to see more frustration between Congress and the Biden administration there's already been a lot of people in Congress, especially on the Republican side, who are not happy about how this whole banking crisis has been handled by the Biden administration. And if they go around Congress yet again, there could be more problems. Wendy, back to you. But who cares if the Biden administration gets upset? Who cares if Congress gets upset? It's literally, they are, they're supposed to work for us, hence the term public servants. They're supposed to do our jobs. And obviously, the people in charge did not do their jobs in any way, shape or form. If they did, we wouldn't be in the position that we're in. Imagine the idea of having a bank where you charge fees to do things and your assets are held one to one. You don't have to worry about FDIC insurance or going through the treasurer, going through this administration or that administration because the funds are actually there and the bank is not doing risky investments on the side. Let's face it, every single investment is risky. And when I hear the term investment, it's like you have a 50 chance of winning and a 50% chance of losing. And I know some people disagree with me on that and that's fine. But people think just because you invest, you're going to get money back. You're going to get a return back. And that's not the case. And we're seeing that happen with one of the most regulated industries in the United States. Yeah, you mentioned sort of the fractional reserve banking system, which has certainly, you know, endured a black eye in this whole thing. And I think, you know, rightly so, Caitlin Long, who proposed a fully reserved bank in the form of Custodia Bank, but was denied a Fed application. She's been piping up and saying, hey, I have a, I have a fix here. We can do this. Like, forget about you know, the way fractional reserve banking works, let's do it this way, where we just charge fees and we just keep everything in reserve, one-to-one, -one, et cetera. But I think at least her allegation is that because of its affiliation 
with crypto custody, with digital asset solutions. They've sort of been shadow banned by the Fed and weren't able to get that coveted master account. So it is interesting to see her sort of, again, championing this cause of at least one potential solution to what the banking crisis is ailing from right now. But yeah, who knows? Maybe that'll change the tide for her or maybe it won't. Anyway, that's it. We're going to change gears here. I know we're going to a CBDC story next. Let's go down to Florida, shall we? Let's go see what Ron DeSantis has to say about CBDCs and why they're bad. You know that I'm a big seabull, so it really saddens me to see Florida Governor Ron DeSantis propose a law to ban CBDCs in his state even before the thing exists. CBDCs, obviously, central bank digital currencies. They've sort of become a boogeyman in some corners of the crypto world and now apparently on the national political stage. He actually even called them sort of the big brothers digital dollar. So big brother there alluding to 1984 and to widespread surveillance of the U.S. citizenry. Anyway, this is interesting to see CBDCs find a national political spotlight with a Republican hopeful, I think, in the 2024 presidential campaign. So this is wild. CBDC is getting fully politicized. I'm going to toss it to Will for his thoughts. What do you think? Yeah, this is really weird. Uh, I didn't expect this to actually be like an issue on states' rights front. I mean, it's been sort of a Republican hallmark since the South flipped in the 1960s, and it really pushed the states' rights issues. And that's seeming to be like the next states' rights thing is the CBDCs or the currency, right? And another history corner, there's a long history in the United States of individual states trying to vie against the federal government and its ability to enact a different or form of currency on all the 50 states combined. So this is, this is a long history within the United States of being a hot button issue. On the DeSantis front, I think that's really where this is coming about. I think DeSantis is pushing this issue forward because in 2024, CBDCs could be a key tenant of either party's platform, right? It's going to be in their planks that, hey, we are pro-CBDC or anti-CBDC. I think that could really be a thing here. And Republicans, I think, are pretty anti-CBDC. We've seen a lot of different Republicans come out against it, including Tom Emmer, who's the head of the blockchain caucus in D.C. On the Democratic front, they seem to be a little bit more pro. I wouldn't say all the way pro. Like, There's some Democrats who are definitely not necessarily pro-CBDC. But the Biden administration is investigating using CBDCs. And we have this Fed Now program coming out in the summer, which mimics a lot of what a CBDC could look like. So to see DeSantis throw this out there, on one hand, it is sort of states' rights thing with Florida being a pretty deep red at this point. But I think it really just bleeds into what he's looking for in 2024, possibly running against Joe Biden. I'll throw it over to you, Wendy. I think that this is actually a good thing. Another comment that I will make, because you know I pay attention to what people say on all social media platforms, and I'm on TikTok, and I talk about a CBDC often. And up until like up until the banking crisis happened, People are saying, no, we don't want a CBDC. It's bad. We don't want it, et cetera. But now I'm starting to see people say, we want Fed now. We want a CBDC. We need it. The banking system is so flawed. This is going to fix it. So the brainwashing is working 100%. And I actually, I don't agree with DeSantos on all his policies, but I do agree with him on this. I think his CBDC is dangerous. It is detrimental. And they have been working on studying a CBDC since before 2018. And I think there's a program from NIST where they were studying Bitcoin to possibly be a CBDC. But again, with the banking collapse in, in the United States, this is just a perfect storm to kind of usher in a CBDC. And a lot of people don't understand what's at stake here. And of course, because the United States loves to pick blue or red, they just can't look at both parties and pick things that they like from them or things that they dislike. They just are automatically so negative. People are going to automatically assume that this is a red issue 
And it's just going to cause a lot more separation in the U.S. when we should all be fighting together against the CBDC because they are dangerous. But they're convenient. The government can airdrop me money into my account with the CBDC so you and take my taxes. Bribes? So you and take they can bribes? just tax me. No, so it's called it's no, it's called like aid payments and stuff like that. Remember when COVID no, hit and everybody got checks? So wait, if you the received the COVID, if you received a stimmy check, you've been bribed by the U.S. government. I we I, actually, I, found um, I fundamentally I actually, disagree. We actually didn't cash ours because, um, yeah, my my daughter's father was very, 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 very much against it. Well, I bought uh, Bitcoin bull. and I'm up quite a bit. So I, I think there you should cash in on that. Uh, I want to go back to what we're talking about with the states' rights thing, because I think it is interesting here. It kind of bleeds into what you're saying, Wendy, is the fact that we could have just different states issue their own CBDCs. Like that's sort of like a really off-kilter idea here. But it does sort of like bleed into what DeSantis is saying here and the fact that like they're anti-CBDC because they want to have like this pro-Florida stance that represents their rights. And what if we see a world where other states are pro-CBDC and what do they want their currencies to look like? So I think like this headline and coming from them really just comes from the fact that like people are going to have different political takes on money going to the next 20, 30 years because of what tokenization allows us to do. And this first headline from Florida is only the first. We're going to see so many different states roll out their own programs for tokenization for CBDCs or things that are similar like this. And they're going to be on both sides of the agenda. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. We got to talk about India and their CBDC. You guys ready for this? Since we're on the topic of CBDCs. So India's central bank seeking privacy legislation for retail CBDC users. I feel like India is one of those places where they ban crypto, but then they unban it and then they ban it and they do it again. But with this time, we're talking about the good old CBDC. So they're pushing for legislation that will allow users of its retail CBDC to delete any transactions from the network's ledger in order to maintain anonymity. To be anonymous, I can never pronounce that word ever, ever, ever. The finance ministry may have to bring legislation to the parliament for the bank to have legal backing to introduce the delete option. (laughs) Reserve Bank of India is currently running retail and wholesale CBDC pilots. And the retail CBDC is currently active in 15 cities. 100,000 customers and 13 banks are participating in the pilot. The delete option makes me scared. Blockchains are supposed to be immutable. I don't know how I feel about this. Will, I'm going to give this to you first. <laughs> Wendy, you should like this story. This is about retail privacy with our overlords issuing CBDCs. So you should you should be a big fan of this No, because they're going to delete their own transactions and it's going to get predatory. It's going to get scary and the ivory towers will win yet again. No. I think I think they would be able to delete their transactions whether or not you are able to delete yours. So that would be my, my one uh, counter there. This is an interesting story, not only because it's from India, which we have tracked, I think, pretty well on the show, the back and forth developments like you highlighted there, Wendy. You know, one day they're pro-crypto, the other day they're not. One day they're loving a new tax, the other day they're not. One day they're against entrepreneurs there, one day they're not. It's a very confusing landscape to cover. 
But they have been working on CBDC. We've done that for quite a while. They have a few programs out there, including some that are running in Indian cities right now. This privatization aspect of it, I think this is more of a PR move. And it was leaked to Coindesk, so great scoop here. But if they're going to issue us, it's more of like a marketing thing in my mind. Because being able to delete something on a ledger like this would be possible in a proof of authority network like a CBDC, where you have basically a few central authorities that are able to like monitor the chain and move transactions around. That is like technically feasible. But if you're really looking for privacy, the question is from whom? And in this context, it's really saying that I want to protect my privacy or I want to be private against other consumers on the network, but not necessarily the government. But if you think about crypto privacy in general, we're mostly trying to be private against the government. So in this case, it's not really private against people that anyone in crypto really want to be uh, hidden from. So that'd be like my biggest critique of this whole story. Zach, I want to throw it over to you. Get thoughts on that. That was a good take. I mean, you're on fire today, Will. I got nothing more. I mean, this is a nice Amitage scoop. Amitage is really well sourced in India as it relates to crypto issues. So congrats to him for getting this one on the record. Yeah, CBDCs and privacy are going to be like the two things that are always in the same breath, right? Like, oh, big brother. As we talked about this with the DeSantis story just, just, just now, right? With Florida being like, hey, this is a tool of big brother surveillance, right? So obviously, each of these countries who are rolling out a CBDC or in the process of rolling out a CBDC or even just thinking about rolling out a CBDC really need to address these privacy concerns head on. Because the last thing that seemingly anybody wants is political parties knowing how you're spending your money. And that's what, when used poorly, these CBDCs can engender, right? China is probably the farthest ahead on a CBDC experiment in terms of people using it, in terms of, you know, again, sort of airdropping these benefits for various reasons, but also, you know, stipulating that it has to be spent by a certain time or else it goes away, right? That's what CBDCs can enable. And those are some powers that the government hasn't previously had, that central bankers haven't previously had. So whether it's privacy or some of these other terms and conditions that come attached to whether or not you're receiving these CBDCs from your, from your federal government, you know, these are conversations that really, really, really need to happen. And I think, you know, to the DeSantis story, again, you know, disagree with this politics all you want, but it is fantastic to have this at least being advanced in the U.S. context around these conversations about how to make a CBDC that maintains some of these privacy benefits rather than flouting them and rather than enabling surveillance that has yet to be seen in sort of modern financial history. So yeah, every country is going to have to reckon with this, but certainly CBDCs and privacy are going to be a talking point for the foreseeable future. Wendy, what do you think? I don't like it. It makes me sad. We're going to get brainwashed that we need this. This is a good thing. But in reality, it's just going to be complete control and complete submission by the underdog. So I'm sad. All right. Sad note. Let's close it on that sad note. Let's go to some other stuff that Wendy loves talking about. Taxes. NFT. Taxes. The IRS is trying to figure out how to tax NFTs, non-fungible tokens. They're thinking about doing it similarly to how they would tax other collectibles. Think fine wine, fine art, you name it. Introduces all these interesting questions around getting your NFTs appraised and getting some value ascribed to them. So you can, you know, fill that out on your, on your future tax forms. But this is something that obviously the IRS is thinking about. And it should be interesting to see where they ultimately land. Uh, Wendy, I got to throw it your way. So NFTs, IRS, what's your initial thought there? So full disclosure, taxes are a scam and the Fed, but please pay your crypto taxes because you don't want to do any petty time over something absolutely ridiculous. I have to give that disclosure because it's really important to do so because that's how they catch people's with the taxes. Isn't that how they supposedly are going to get our former president? Anyways, I digress. 
So I think that they do need to establish some sort of guidelines so we know exactly what we're doing. But really, at the same time, with a tangible piece of art, you can buy it and then resell it and not even report it. And nobody would probably know unless it's a very, 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 very big piece of art that's worth a lot of money. Like, for example, you could go to a thrift store, buy something for a dollar, two dollars, flip it for a hundred dollars, and nobody is going to know. So I think that this is good tax-wise so we know exactly what's going on and we know how to file our taxes and we don't have to hire these crazy expensive CPAs. But at the same time, it just seems like we're going to get some sort of legislation in about taxing NFTs and it's just going to be completely off and cause a lot of problems. But it is what it is and we got to unfortunately pay those taxes because we need those new roads and all the money that goes to public servants. Right, guys? We do. Roads we are do. good. We roads do. are yeah. good. We, we, like the, we like the roads. The roads we in LA are so beautiful. Like we have the highest tax rate ever and there's just pothole after pothole after pothole. Mm-hmm. Three out of 10 schools, go LA. That's the point of taxes. Okay, yeah, let's talk about this a little bit more in depth. So we actually first found out about this whole thing might be changing in October of 2022. There was a change on the form that said that they are including NFTs as a form of digital assets. That was a change versus the previous rhetoric that had talked more about digital assets in terms like, hey, let's talk about virtual currencies. Let's talk about tokens. Let's talk about Bitcoin. But the IRS knows that these things are out there. The NFTs were booming in the last two years, and now people are going to tax them. My question here, I actually want to throw this question over to Zach, is like, at the end of the day, an NFT is still a token though, right? So like, Yes, I can. Yes, there's like artwork on there and like it's a collectible sorts, but like the underlying mechanism for trading this thing is still a token, which has like some currency like aspects. So it's sort of weird to like think of it as like being in both camps, but not necessarily completely in one or the other. It's definitely a blockchain based token and it's definitely a digital asset, but it is going to be interesting to see if there's a carve out for NFTs and especially if NFTs are going to find sort of that mainstream use case, right? They're still sort of niche. Obviously, they caught a lot of attention during the last cycle, but there is a world in which NFTs are used a bit more creatively where they're not just like artistically based. And there might be all sorts of loopholes and whatnot that treat NFTs differently from other digital assets which will likely get really confusing over time. But it'd be nice to have some sort of clear standardization around these things, that's for sure. Really quick, I, don't, I know we don't have a lot of time. Will, when you're, when you're inscribing a Bitcoin ordinal, that makes it not a token. So that might be an interesting caveat mm. for regulators. Also too, when we're talking about tokenizing everything and using an NFT to represent it, they're going to have to come up with different classes. For example, if you tokenize real estate, my house, if I do decide to sell it and I have an NFT that verifies my ownership of the house, they're going to have to put that in a different tax, I guess, category than if I have a designer bag that I have an NFT representing it and then I sell that or a food item that I'm tracking that I buy from my local Sprouts or Whole Foods or whatever that is. So it's going to be very interesting. They're going to have to have categories because it's not a one-size-fits-all for NFTs or ordinals. Yeah, no, I think that's like a very good point. And that's like the heart of the question here, right? Like, what is an NFT and what does an NFT mean to the IRS? We're all going to find that out. But just like you pointed out there, Wendy, like, it could be a token that represents my house or a potted plant. It can be an inscription on Bitcoin that's connected to a Satoshi. It can be uh, like LinksDAO. You know, they have like a DAO connected to a golf course in Scotland now, and it has some tokens allocated towards it. So, like, what do these things all mean? All I know is the IRS is going to get its money. We're probably not going to like how they're going to do it, but they are going to tax whatever asset you have. So you better be ready because they are definitely coming for you, specifically for you, Wendy, because you keep fighting the IRS on our show. Hey, you know what? 
I pay my taxes. I paid a, a really ridiculous amount of taxes. I don't know. I don't get that feeling. I don't you get know that what? feeling. I, I paid my CPA so much money and please, you don't even want to know. You'd probably cry. You'd cry for me. <laughs> CBDCs fix this. CBDCs. I'm telling you, know you what? programmable <laughs> money, programmable taxes. Control. Cut. All right, shut it down. That's it. That's it. It's over. All right, that's it for the show today. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. <laughs>